Matt, hey, hey. hey, what's going on, man? Hey, I figured it out. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you did a lot faster than uh, than Joe or Dia last week, so that's uh, that's a good thing. I mean, are you, uh, are, you uh, are you timing people? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Joe Joe's running uh, Android, and so I think with with um, Android operating system, it's just it's a different setup process versus using an iOS device like an iPad or an iPhone or whatever it may be. So yeah. since I'm on iOS, I, I I'm just pretty pretty sure that all you had to do is just click on that link and then you were you were good to go. Yeah, so. yeah, and it just asked me to type in my name and uh, yeah, yeah you, like you said, it, I was good to go. This is kind of a cool app. I didn't know this existed. So yeah, uh, it, you know, it. it's it's neat because you know it takes away from I guess that you know they actually have a, a an upgraded version um, if I remember correctly where you actually can add video. Um, but for me, like podcasts is, is all about hearing your voice and, and, um, not having to worry about the restraints of brushing your hair or your teeth or wearing <laughs> nice clothes. <laughs> well, the other, the other advantage is I like to listen to this stuff in my car. Yeah. And, and if you're doing a video cast, um, then it's eating up more data. So yeah. a podcast obviously doesn't eat much data. So, uh, I prefer podcasts. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's nice. It's nice because, uh, from from what I've read, Anchor was purchased by um, Spotify, and so you know Spotify has the option through the app where you can do video podcasts uh, or you can do just audio only, like Joe Rogan. You know, for example, you can watch the video um, of his guest speakers live or not live, but you know recorded. And then um, if you don't want to, you just click on the audio segment and uh, you're good to go. And it's it's nice to listen to you know, while driving in the car, whatever it may be, or if you're, you know, you're working somewhere and you have you know, a pair of headphones or whatever, whatever it is, and you can just kind of listen here and there, but it definitely simplifies things. And it's, it's, it's nice because it's portable. Literally, if you have like, I'm, I'm using my iPad pro currently to do the recording, but you know, if you have a phone, um, it, it actually says on, on anchors website that, uh, you know, if you have a phone, just talk into the phone, like you're literally talking to a person. Um, and uh, it's pretty, pretty simple to use. Well, this is great. Um, and I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, definitely. Thanks for coming on. Hey, uh, if you would like to go ahead and introduce yourself, let people know who you are. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll go into a little bit more after that. Yeah, of course. So my name is Craig DeSessa. I am the president of an organization called The Middle Resolution. We are a political action committee uh, out of uh, the Mechanicsville area in Virginia. We focus primarily on state uh, politics, uh, state campaigns, House of Delegates, uh, state Senate races. Uh, occasionally, we'll get into a congressional race. We've done that over a couple of the last couple of years. Very involved with Dave Bratt and Bob Goods races. Um, also, we were engaged, very engaged in the three statewide races this year with um, the new governor-elect Yunkin. Uh, Attorney General-elect Jason Miares and the Lieutenant Governor-elect Winsome Sears. And, and we also then get involved in policy. One of the things we learned early on back in 2010, 2011, when we got started, was you can elect these folks to office, but if you don't follow them down to the General Assembly, um, they don't always particularly vote the way they promised they would uh, when they were running for office. And it's for various reasons. It's not because they were being deceptive. Typically, it's they didn't always understand what they were voting on. And you can imagine how difficult it would be to follow several thousand pieces of legislation that come through 
so we found that um, we could focus on certain areas of policy and then we could go down there and we could educate them on the policy or we would even introduce legislation ourselves. And the three areas that we focus on are um, education, healthcare, and election law. And we've been involved in uh, probably election law the longest since uh, 2012 and we helped pass uh, photo ID here in Virginia, which uh, most people know now it's been repealed, uh, I think in 2019 or 2020. And um, there is new legislation to try to bring it back. Um, it is one of the foundations to good election law. Many will disagree with that, but uh, there was a um, there was a study done in 2001, 2002, uh, done by Carter and uh, Baker, former president. Jimmy Carter and former Secretary of State um, Baker. And after the, the Florida debacle in the uh, 2000 election, uh, President Bush said, hey, can you guys put together a sort of best practices for election law? And um, one of the first things they said was, you got to have some sort of photo ID. Mm. Uh, you don't want to mail ballots. You don't want to have too much early voting. You want to limit early voting. Um, all the things that were passed... <laughs> in the General Assembly in the last two years in Virginia. So um, we're hopefully this year we'll be able to get some of that stuff um, um, repealed and, and, some, and, and some new things that will, will make it um, easy to vote, but hard to, hard to cheat kind of a thing. So, um, so that's generally what we do. And like I said, we've been at it since actually we formed in 2009. And uh, we have a small team, but we, um, we punch above our weight. Our yeah, weight. man. Now you get you also, if I remember correctly, because we've had you know previous conversations, um, you know prior to this podcast, obviously. But uh, as far as the, because we were talking a while back about the school systems, uh, public school systems and private school systems, and you recommended, um, I think a school a school that you were intimately involved in. What was that again? So um, I'll give you a little backstory. So we've. We introduced something called education savings accounts uh, in the legislature in 2016, 2015. And um, essentially, it's money follows a child, or at least part of the money that is put up for a child in, in public education. And um, it was very frustrating. We get it to the governor's desk. And of course, the governor, Governor, um, Governor McCullough vetoed it and Governor uh, Northam um, uh, stopped it when he was the lieutenant governor one year. Um, he broke a tie in the Senate. And we decided that at the rate things were going in Virginia, um, Republicans were becoming more rare in the legislature, that we needed to go outside the system. Mm. And so we looked for a school system that was a high quality school system that focused on mastery. OK, math, reading, writing, that kind of thing. It was affordable. And um, we ended up finding a school system in North Carolina called Thales Academy. Mm. Went down there, looked at the schools, amazing model, amazing. And um, the founder is a guy named Bob Luddy, who's a rags to riches guy, became very wealthy um, through um, restaurant ventilation business. He, he owns, he, I think he owns, he has about 30% of the market or something like that. Um, and he got very um, interested in education back in the 90s, went through all kinds of reiterations through the North Carolina school systems, started a charter school. And he finally said, you know what? I'm going to do this. I can do this better by myself. And he created Thales in 2007. Um, it's a K through 12 school system. And they use, uh, for example, direct instruction in the K through five 
um, in the elementary school, and then they moved to um, Socratic instruction, which is Socrates came up with this, and it's basically the children or the, the young people are taught how to um, not debate so much, but have conversations around the issues that they're, that they're learning about. As opposed to the teacher dictating to them, the teacher would guide the conversations. Very successful. In 2014, well, back up a little bit, they they were getting heat from the North Carolina accreditation program or agency there in, in North Carolina. And he said, I don't have anything to do with the state. I, mm. I don't have anything. And parents are going, well, we need you to be accredited so our kids can get into college. In 2014, he had th- his first three graduates. And um, they, they applied to like Duke and North Carolina and NC State because that's it's it's located just north of Raleigh and Wake Forest. Right. Um, and he said um, and they all got in. So what he said is he said to the three kids, he said, hey, I'll tell you what, I'll pay you to apply to. And the only one I remember is Stanford, but they were one Ivy League school and another very high level school. And they got into all three. They never had a problem with accreditation again because it was clear that their their model was was very uh, effective and provided a quality education. And the best part or part of the best part is it's $6,000 a year. And we're like, wow, yeah. that's affordable. Middle, very, class very, parents, very affordable. middle class parents can afford that. They might have to stretch a little bit, but parents are willing you know, to sacrifice for the kids. So um, we said, we would like to bring this to Virginia and they hadn't brought it to another state yet. And they were also talking to Tennessee and they said, well, you know, we get a lot of people asking us to bring it to their state, but it, it costs some money to get it up and running. And uh, we said, well, how much? And he told us and I go, oh, that's a chunk of change. So we came back here and we met with some of our top donors and they all got really excited about it. And they said, well, we want to go down and meet this guy. We want to see the schools. Short story is um, we've raised the money. We brought. Um, so we were in the middle of raising the money and they said, you guys are serious. We'll bring it to Virginia. And we opened up in 20, in the middle of the pandemic, um, a K through two, uh, they, they call it, what they call it, um, I call it a pilot, but uh, incubator school. And we rented space in a church in Henrico County and it immediately filled up. I think we had 30 slots uh, because schools were closed. Right. It's a, and it's a year, it's a year round program. So July to July or July to June and it immediately filled up. Well, um, <laughs> they uh, uh, so so then they said, well, now we need to, we need some metrics. We need to make sure that we can sustain this for a year or two. And if we can, then they said we will commit to purchasing property and building our first building. But we would also like you guys to help raise the money. And so our top donors did that exactly that. They raised a bunch of money commitments. And we were able to keep the school filled. We got a waiting list um, of teachers and students. And they said, okay, we want to do this. Um, but they were having a hard time in Henrico finding affordable property. So what happened was Chesterfield found out about it. Um, I happen to know the guy that runs Chesterfield County. His name is Joe Casey. And Joe learned about it. And Joe said, we need this stuff in, um, in Chesterfield. So they have gotten approval to build a K-12 through school in the middle of Chesterfield and they are getting ready to break ground and it's pretty exciting. And I mean, you got, you talk about quality education, private education for 6,000 bucks. It's just, yeah. it's unheard of. And, and it, they take no state, no federal and no local money. It's all, yeah. it's all done on, on tuition. And they have, and they have a scholarship program. We have, 
uh, of the 30, well, I think we were up to 40 kids in Henrico. I think they have six kids coming from that are on scholarship coming from Richmond, uh, Richmond city area. So they, they do offer it up to, to at risk kids. So um, it's a pretty successful program. Cool. That's awesome. I mean, we, we really do need something like that. I mean, I, I know with everything going on right now, specifically within the public school systems, there are just so many problems. I was actually watching a, uh, a video um, this morning um, of Glenn Youngkin. Uh, and uh, in this clip, it was showing a school classroom. And behind all these children inside the school classroom, I saw literally nothing but... And I'm not saying this is necessarily a bad thing, um, but it is extremely biased, but nothing but just flyers and flags and marketing for um, uh, the left or Democratic candidates that were running for you know either Congress or, or whatever it may be over the last couple of years. And I saw one Republican candidate on the wall. It's a Daniel Gade um, little little sign. And uh, everything else was was just just literally democratic and then on top of that you have so many different issues going on a buddy of mine probably about two months ago reached out to me and uh and and this is a a very well-to-do individual he he went to cornell uh in ithaca new york which is ivy league uh works for google he owns his own company now grew up with a, a relatively good structure for his household um his christian background um, not, not to say that that's end all be all for, for a good moral compass, but <clears throat> for the most part it is. Um, and he's got three kids, one's 11, one's eight and one just turned actually one today. And it's 11 year old girl. Um, <clears throat> I think she's in sixth or seventh grade, but, uh, they live now in uh, Crozet. So just outside of Charlottesville and, and he, he reached out to me. I don't know. It was around 10 p.m. at night. I said, hey, I need to talk. And I was like, okay, well, typically he doesn't reach out unless he needs something or something's going on. And I called him up and, you know, I asked him, you know, what was going on? And <clears throat> he said that uh, his 11-year-old daughter, he just found out, had been going to these classes called GSA. Um, I don't remember the acronym as far as what it what it is referring to as far as the actual letters. But but I do know that it's basically uh, a gay sex um uh, sex education classes essentially and the teacher was telling his 11 year old daughter to tell the parents that that she was going to homeroom on these days that she was actually going to this gsa classes and now she's identifying as uh um non-binary oh my and, gosh and and a pansexual at 11 years old you know and, and this is the <clears throat> the part that's concerning here is, is it's not just the fact that you know and this is subjective, it's my opinion, but it's not just the fact that 11-year-old, to be able to process and comprehend these these terms, um, specifically when you're talking about non-binary and, and now we have, you know, pansexual um, terminology, to process that, it, even for me as an adult, takes a moment to, I have to sit back, process, and then do a little bit of research to even try to remotely comprehend what's going on. And I think what's what's a shame in the public schools is that you have teachers that feel empowered to the point to where they're overstepping these boundaries as a, as a teacher um, and going into the realm of what a parent should be teaching their children or not teaching their children. 
And it's unfortunate uh, because, you know, it's a public school system and this teacher is probably not going to be held accountable. Um, they're in the process of, of, you know, possibly going through some sort of litigation and you know, suing the, the, the school um, or suing the teacher individually. They, they had to yank their, their daughter out of, out of you know, sure. school and now they're homeschooling. And it's just unfortunate because in that area, they don't have any quality schools, or at least that they feel like they have you know, no quality schools that they can send their daughter to. Um, and just just the, the, the domino effect of this occurring, it's going to detrimentally impact this, this young lady in the future. And, you know, obviously as a young child, you know, when you're going through between 10 and 12 for, for most and, and maybe earlier for some, but you're going through adolescence, puberty, your mind is all over the place. You're questioning things anyway, but to have something like this kind of instilled upon you, um, it's really scary. And it's, it's unfortunate that it's, that it's happening. And, um, you know, it's going to create resentment with the child and the parent. And uh, it's just a whole snowball effect of issues that this is going to potentially you know, have on this family because of this one teacher who decided that she wanted to uh, go woke. And she's literally been doing this with, we found out through emails that she's been doing this with multiple students. Oh, I'm sure. I'm and sure has an entire circle. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and it's a, it's highly problematic. And the fact that it's, it, that, that there's no real ramification as far as legal ramification for this, you know, individual other than maybe getting terminated. Um, it's a shame, honestly, again, subjective. I feel like, you know, they should be held accountable for this. And, and the well, fact, and I wonder too, how much of did the administration know about this? I mean, if this, if this teacher's yeah. telling their child to lie to their parents, mm-hmm. that's a huge issue in of itself. Right. Yeah. So they're yeah. being deceptive. Does the administration know what's going on? You talked about, you said a whole host of issues. I, I, it's child abuse. Yeah, it really is because of the issue where the child, how on earth can they, possibly process this information properly at yeah. that young age and you as you said they were preteen going into puberty i mean their mind is everywhere yeah and, and that's why there's such a need for for options for parents um i mentioned education <clears throat> savings accounts earlier we're we are um we, we formed a group called the virginia education opportunity alliance um and if anybody who's listened to this podcast is interested and learning more about this and maybe wants to uh, become part of the coalition, it's uh, you can email uh, me at VEOA2022 at gmail.com. But um, what we've introduced is legislation for a universal education savings account. The money, part of the money that goes towards the child in public school follows the child if the parent removes them from the school system. They do have to start in the public school system. Right. They have to be counted in what we call the ADM, average daily membership. And then the state portion, about a third of the money that goes to a child, or about a third of the money, yeah, let's, let's assume it's 12 grand, which is about average where I live per student. A third of that follows, it's more complicated than this, but I'm just going to simplify it, goes into a restricted bank account. And um, 10% of that $4,000 goes to the treasury so that they can administer the program, so forth and so on. And um, then $3,600 would be in the bank account. The parent can use that money to send them to a private school, to homeschool them. Or if it's a special needs child, you know, there's all, they can use the money for any educational purposes. Uh, then the rest of that money stays with the school system. So the school has one less child um, 
they get $8,000 and they so they continue to have money. About a third of that, about half of that money is needed for um, your, your fixed costs in operating the school. So it's, you know, it really is a win-win. Yeah. The school systems, their argument every time is, well, you're taking money from the public schools. And, and then that, and that should be the, the conversation. The conversation should be, well, what's, what's best for the child? Yeah. You know, and, um, now that we have the problems that we've had, I mean, I think uh, the governor-elect was elected partially because of the issues that are going on in the schools. I mean, obviously, that was a hot issue. It didn't hurt. Yeah. But Terry, Terry McAuliffe uh, made the infamous gaffe in the second debate. Yeah. Um, and so parents are expecting some changes. And I think one of those changes is more options in education. How can we, you know, how can we um, give our child a, a better education and not be um, not worry about what they're going to be exposed to at schools. Now, I will defend the public schools to some degree. I mean, some of these teachers are asked, all of them are asked to do way too much. Mm-hmm. They are, you know, they're losing. They have a huge problem with with teacher retention. They lose your teachers left and right because the teachers don't want to have to deal with all the stuff that they're required to do. They're not in the end. They can't discipline the kids. So. I was talking to Delegate um, John Avioli yesterday. He's a former principal up in Stanton area, and now he's a delegate in the House. And he said, we're, we're bleeding teachers. We just can't keep them because they basically are, you know, babysitters in, in, the, in, the, in the classrooms. He didn't say it exactly like that, but that's essentially how it came out. And, um, and then you have these new teachers coming in. They're not all new teachers, but they've been in the higher education system where they're being taught all this stuff that you just talked about, right? That our new teachers are being taught this stuff in the universities, CRT, um, all the stuff about transgenderism. And then they're bringing it in to the, to the public school system. So um, the school systems have a huge challenge. You may be a, a school system in a very conservative community like Hanover County where I live, um, but what are your options for hiring teachers? I mean, you know, it's difficult. So yeah. the public school systems have huge challenges and they're required. The code says in Virginia, you have to provide an education for every child in your community. So they have to take everybody. It doesn't matter what the special need is. doesn't matter how bad it is or how difficult it could be. Um, and, um, and so, so they have to take the good with the bad. And so they have, they have their challenges as well. But the bottom line is um, we're losing a lot of children as a result of what happened with COVID now, uh, the inner city schools obviously are, are awful um, in many cases. And those kids are, you know, they, they end up on the streets, unfortunately, because that's what they know. Yeah. And I think, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day with uh, Dr. Robert Malone uh, and, and Joe Rogan, and they touched a little bit on the, the social integration um, or lack thereof because of everything that's happened with the kids. And now we're, we're literally, witnessing an epidemic in, um, in, in child, um, uh, depression rates, um, mm-hmm. child suicide rates, um, mm-hmm. you know, so, so it's a big problem. And the fact that, you know, like just for an example, uh, I think Chesterfield County, if I remember correctly, they, they decided to, uh, to start doing virtual again. Um, I think they announced that like what ten days ago or so. If I if I remember correctly, you'd probably know. I, I actually I have I actually hadn't heard that, so um, yeah. that, that's news to me. And it's it's just concerning because it's like you know, 
children need to be in school. They need to, they need to have one-on-one interaction. I mean, yes, you have audible and visual learners, but you know, in order for, for children uh, as a whole, like to, it's just like this to learn how to speak. You have to see someone speaking in person. It's, you know, if, if you put a, a child that's learning how to speak in, in front of a computer screen, they're, they're, they're going to have, they're going to have issues. They're, they're going to be a slower to learn and they're not going to be where they need to be. And right now the lack of social integration, it's just, it's just highly problematic. It's causing too many issues. Uh, and we know that we have studies that, that have shown that right now. And we're, in so many instances, and I'm not, I'm not, you know, culminating everything and saying this is all in Virginia. It's, it's going all going on everywhere. But in so many instances, you know, you have individuals and, and, and maybe I'm wrong in saying this, but I feel like a lot of the unions um, have, have played into this where you've got teachers that don't want to work. They don't actually want to go to work. They'd rather teach virtually because they, they're not accountable. And, and it's, it's sad because, you know, these kids are our future. I mean, realistically, our future is is dependent on where these kids go. Mm -hmm. And the fact that we are not addressing this, um, or at least not on a wide scale, um, you know, it's a big problem. It it really is. And so it's important. I think we do need more. We need more options. We, We need more affordable options, too, because, you know, as you said, not, you know, not everybody can afford, you know, even $6,000, which is feasible, I feel like, but, but, you know, for some it's, it's still, it's still, you know, a little tough, but the fact that we have something that's affordable like that, and it it can potentially spread and become, you know, a little bit more accessible, I think that would be very helpful for kids. But for right now, you know, with, with Youngkin coming in, I'm, I'm really interested to see, and I, and I don't want to go too far off topic, but I'm really interested to see how that pans out, um, where he goes with, with the school systems. Cause I know that, you know, at least his message, um, that he's kind of preached throughout, um, uh, 20, 2020 up until now is he wants schools to be open. He wants kids to be in school. Yeah, no, that's, uh, I was in a meeting this morning with, with the, the, the new Lieutenant governor and a number of, uh, some, some people that are on his transition team, some people that are some new, uh, one of the new secretaries, and um, they're 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 focused on that. The, the the governor is going to be championing. He talked about charter schools and he's going to be championing edu- uh, legislation that's going to build, not build, but create 20 innovation, what they call innovation charter schools. And um, he's got a challenge. I don't know how many of your listeners know this, but in Virginia, our, our constitution is what has limited us from having charter schools because the final decision on a charter school application happens at the local level at the school board Mm. and school boards do not approve charter schools. And we only have eight, seven, eight, nine. I think we have nine approved. I think we have eight actually operating. And that's because the, and I've talked to my own superintendent here and they're like, well, why do we need a charter school? Our public schools are fine. And I'm like, uh, okay. (laughs) But, and, but in North Carolina, they have a hundred and I don't know, it's a crazy number, 130 or something, 150. And that's because the application goes to the state board of education, not the local board of education. And so um, we've tried to change that in the Constitution. And we got stopped um, a couple of years ago. Uh, we never got it to a referendum, but um, they're going to I think the, the governor's trying to figure out a way to allow to incentivize school boards to allow certain innovative 
you know, charter schools that focus on certain areas. Um, and that's going to be a big push. And then, of course, I mentioned education savings accounts. We're going to also be pushing for that as well. So we want to provide more, op- more options for parents. And, th- you know, it, all that does is help everybody in the end. There's a lot of data today. There, um, school choice has been available now, um, education savings accounts, particularly in tax credit programs, for up to, for two decades in various states. And now we have six states with ESAs. And there's a lot of great data out there showing, first of all, the schools don't lose money. They actually continue to see increases in funding. Um, there was always the cry that they're going to, you know, the, the school choice programs are going to pull the cream of the crop away from the public schools. They're going to be stuck with, you know, the, the lesser capable kids. That has been proven wrong. Um, parents choose to leave their kids in public schools or take them out for various reasons. It's, it's, it's all over the board. And the other thing they demonstrated was that there's not a mass exodus from the public schools. Um, The data shows right now that if we were to pass a universal, and what I mean by universal ESA is that every kid is eligible that's in the public school system. Um, It's not limited to poor kids or special needs or whatever that uh, when it actually peaks, it will be about 4% of the population, which is not huge. Um, And so and, that, and that, that'll take time for it to happen. So it's, there's not a mass, there's not going to be a mass exit from public schools. Right. The, the other thing that they've demonstrated, and Florida is the leader in this, is that the more school choice you provide a community, the better your public school does for, for all, a, a whole course of reasons. And, and, and I've, got that, I've got that data here. The research has, has been out there for some time now. And so um, it, it's, it's, it's better for everybody. When you have equity and education choice, the other big thing is it is a criminal justice issue. When you can help provide a kid who lives in the inner city, and I I don't want to pick on the inner city, but we know there's huge problems there. Mm -hmm. And you can give that child a a really good education. They're going to be able to pull themselves out of that poverty. And many times they go back to their community where they grew up and make it a better place. They don't just leave. I've I've witnessed that many times through Christian ministries that I've worked with. And so the more opportunity we can give these children to get a good quality education, the much better chance they have of succeeding in life. So um, all around, it's just good for everybody. Yeah. Um, and it's unfortunate. You talked about the unions in Virginia. We don't have public unions per se, but we do now have collective bargaining. So essentially, that's a union. Yeah. But um, the VEA, Virginia Education Association, I'm going to call them out. They are they are one of the, the um, major barriers to this to this issue to, to providing more options, and same with the superintendents association, assume the school board associations. When we go up there and we we talk about our bill and we get up there and we speak in favor, they're always getting up there. They're saying the same messaging points, and they're and they're just saying, you know what, we need this we need this money for the buildings, and um, unfortunately, they're they're blocking this. And what they're concerned about not getting their money, you know? Yeah. I was going to say, what, what, what do you think the reasoning behind that is? is it, 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 it's about the money and they're scared. I mean, this is their livelihood. I, I get it. Um, this is their livelihood. And um, they just, it's competition, right? And it, they fear, they fear they're going to lose, you know, they're going to lose all the money, especially the VEA because they get dues. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and it's, it's like any union. 
and so the, any union is going to push back if they're if there's an opportunity for a teacher to leave or uh, you know uh well and that's what's going to happen right if there's more private education provided then there's going to be a bigger need for teachers well they're not going to make much more any more money because private schools don't pay any better than the public schools they have to stay competitive but they don't do but it's a better it's a better working environment yeah uh, in a private school for the most part um so you're going to start to see teachers leave um and uh so they so they're going to fight it tooth and nail and then of course the school the school board association and the superintendents association they all they all fight this there's one organization though that i think is starting to come around and that's the NAACP the national NAACP has a policy they do not support any school choice charters even public school choice which is a charter in fact in 2016 we introduced legislation at the ASA it was the first year we introduced it i think and i worked with uh, leaders in the NAACP in northern virginia and they said look we like this we really like this bill we want to help you so they convinced the the president of the NAACP the state NAACP they call it the NAACP conference, state conference or something, mm-hmm. to write a, a, a letter in, in support of our legislation. This gentleman showed up at the Senate Finance Committee hearing. We've gotten it through the House. We are, we're in our last committee hearing before it goes to the floor. And he comes up and he has this letter in his hand. He speaks in favor of the bill. And you should have seen the Democrats on that committee. <laughs> I mean, their draws their jaws dropped. Well, they're not partisan, right? They're, 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 <laughs> they're yeah. for the kids, right? Yeah. So, so the next day we, it passed because the Republicans controlled the Senate at that time and it passed and it got to the floor and two senators, Senator Mamie Locke, who's still there, Senator Don McEachin, who's now a congressman, both got up and said, the NAACP does not support this kind of legislation. And they went off. They were angry. Yeah. And then, the two the two folks I work with up in, in in Northern Virginia who convinced the state president to support this bill, um, they got smacked down big time. Now by the national. Now they continued to fight for us. In fact, I've got a, I've got a phone call with uh, one of the uh, uh, one of the women up there that I was working with years ago. She wants to help. Um, so the NAACP for a long time hasn't supported this kind of thing. But I think locally, we're starting to see the ice melt with them. Yeah. They're starting to realize, oh, my gosh, this impacts our children. We've got to do something new. And um, I, was, I was in a meeting with a, a, a bunch of black leaders recently in the, in the conservative uh, movement, on the conservative side of the aisle. And they're so frustrated because they realize this really is one, not, it's not, you know, it's, it's not the, uh, end all be all to their problems, but it certainly is part of the solution um, for um, inner city kids, especially um, to get out of the inner city or not even to get out of the inner city, but to, to create a school in the inner city. There are examples of this. Um, you know, there are certain schools in, in Richmond, for example, called there's one called Anna Julia, Anna Julia Cooper School. Um, there's Elijah, um, Elijah House. There's Chad Academy. But these are all limited models they cannot be um scaled Hmm. because they rely on government money and that's the great thing about thales it it does not rely on any government money it's kind of like a the hillsdale of the k-12 hillsdale college um and it's scalable 
because they've built they've got eight schools in North Carolina. We're building the first one here. They're building one in Nashville. Um, so that 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 school is going to continue to grow because there's going to be a huge demand for it. But um, the, the, the unfortunately, the VEA and the other association, school board association and superintendent association, they just they just can't get beyond this idea that that uh, they're going to lose money. Um, they're, they're very scared about it. And we've, somehow we've got to change that narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that that's, we've, we've got to, we got to get legislators to understand how important this issue is for our children. And this year is a good year. I mean, we've obviously, um, we won all three branches of the statewide, the state government. We've got the house back. The Senate's going to be a challenge because they've, um, unfortunately they've stacked the committees, even though they only have a two seat advantage. Um, but for example, education is, I think, 10 to six fine. We have to go through the finance committee. It's 11 to five. I mean, you have to, you have to flip like four Democrats to get through a committee. And um, we have a few that are talking to us um, and we'll see, you know, they want, there's a lot of wheeling and dealing going on. Let me just put it that way. Yeah. It it seems like there's always a lot of logistics behind the scenes. Oh, there, 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 there's a lot of it. And we happen to have in our coalition, we have some, we have a couple of great lobbyists who are fighting very, very hard. Um, and, and they have other, you know, that we're, we're working on criminal justice reform issues as well. Not, not my group, not the Virginia Education Opportunity Alliance, but we're, you, you know, there's a lot of CJR stuff that the Democrats obviously want to see. And I'm like, that's a conservative issue. Right? Yeah. We, we want people who are in prison that shouldn't be in prison to get out of prison. You know, there's, there's a lot of things that we can do to help people. Um, there's a lot of and there's a lot of good legislation. I was in a, an event yesterday and I met a gentleman. He's a fascinating guy. He spent 16 years in prison. He's now a lobbyist. Governor Northam had pardoned him two years ago and he's fighting for he's a lobbyist for criminal justice reform issues. And when I, I talked to him yesterday for quite a while and when you talk to somebody like that, you really start to understand the challenges that they're in our in our incarceration system. And this guy, he's, he's very bright. He, he went, he went to prison for embezzlement. So this guy has a college degree, very smart financial guy. And he admits he, 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 he screwed up. Um, and he's very authentic and he, he's very upfront and transparent about, you know, what he did. Um, but I learned a lot about that. And so we're hoping we can, you know, we can couple, see, I, I see, as I said earlier, I see education choice as a criminal justice issue. I mean, if, you know, if you can get a kid, a great education. He's not going to go to the streets, yeah. right? And be part part of the criminal system. Yeah, and I think that, I mean, that's that's kind of a key point too, as far as the, you know, there there's certain things in in my opinion that I feel that the public school system is lacking in when it is teaching children, you know, specific subjects that actually matter once they're outside of 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 the school system and and in real life. And then there are subjects that really, you know, should take kind of more so less precedence, I guess. Um, and, you know, one of those things, like, I know, at least in my experience, when, when I was growing up um, in, in the school system, and I was in private as well as public school systems, we didn't have any type of teaching about real world skill sets, such as accounting and, and checks and balances and, you know, how to to maintain a, a savings account or a checking account or whatever it may be. And a lot of these things that we learned specifically once the public school system started doing the 
the SOL, the standard of learning tests, really didn't have much to do with, with anything. Um, and, I, and I feel from, from what I've seen anyway, a lot of the public schools have remained kind of in that, that constant set of we're going to teach you the basics on specific things, but a lot of these you're not going to utilize outside, outside of the real world unless it's in a niche specific you know, category. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the, the whole, the whole standards of learning is a whole nother issue, which I think, I think the new governor is going to address that as well. I was talking to um, a, de- a delegate today. He's, he met with the new secretary of education and this delegate is a, is someone who is very suspicious of anybody <laughs> new. He, he's, he's very conservative. And he came out of the meeting. He said, Craig, you know what? I think she's going to do Virginia well. Um, and cause there was a lot of controversy around, um, uh, Amy Gadara, Dr. Gadara. I don't, you, I'm sure you've seen it. Um, the Federalist came out with a story about her being kind of woke, and yeah. a lot of people it raised a lot of concerns. But when 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 the delegate came talked to me about it, um, he said I, I'm not concerned about that at all. And he would be he'd be the first one if if he saw anything any hint of it, he would he would let me know. Yeah. Um, well, we have he, people that are concerned about everything right now. So. <laughs> just... Well, and and. And for the and 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 for good reason, right? Right. I mean, we've got a lot of reasons to be suspicious about a lot of people, but I feel very um, sort of in a general in general terms. And we're we're talking about middle resolution and what we're doing. But um, I was uh, at the meeting I was at today. There was a the gentleman is the new chief of staff for the, the attorney general and uh, D J Jordan, okay. who very sharp young man, and um, he it, and I'm just I'm feeling really good about. Uh, what's going on you know one of my my concerns has always been that you know and i checked we challenged glenn we and i don't know if i told you this but you know we interviewed all the candidates running for statewide back in a year ago Uh, it was probably a little less than a year ago and then we endorsed and all three before the convention and we endorsed all the winners and then of course they all won statewide and when we met with glenn yunkin um we challenged him we said look one of the biggest problems is that when we take over, we don't get rid of people, you right. know, serious partisans within the legislative process. And, and I could tell you some scary stories about bills being changed without our knowledge and things like that. And from the, from the legislative, from the staff and, um, and you get to committee hearing and you hear your bill read and you go, whoa, 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 that's not what we put in. But anyway, um, he said he was going to, you know, he really was going to, you know, be diligent about cleaning house. Well, he's done that. And all the state agency, all the secretaries are people from outside of Virginia for the most part, not all of them, but a lot of them. And okay. Then you go, okay, wait a minute now. Now you don't have anybody who knows Virginia politics, but um, I was talking with the new secretary of the Commonwealth this morning and she is from Virginia. Kay James. I'm not sure if you know who she is, but she was president of the heritage foundation for four years and has, she has a rich history in Virginia. She was, okay. uh, she worked under Allen as the uh, secretary of health. And um, she's Kay James is just a consummate professional. Anyway, she said, well, one of the reasons I'm there is because I am one of the people from Virginia and I can guide a lot of these secretaries through that sort of, you know, the whole legislative process and, and some of the, she was a uh, Fairfax County, right? School board. Uh I think I think so. She lives in she lives in Chesterfield. She may have been up there. Yeah, she may, I think she I may think have been so. on the school board up there. That had been a while ago. 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I think she did. I think that's how she got started. I think in, in politics. Yeah. I think you're right about that. Um, yeah, I don't remember that. She didn't mention that today. She, she talked, talk, she talked to the small group I was with, talked a little bit about her history, but, um, but she's uh, the president of a uh, heritage foundation. She was, um, okay. yeah. about four okay. or five okay. years ago and she just stepped down December 1st and, um, she has, and I, I'm going to give a plug to this. She has an organization. She, she started something called the Gloucester Institute. Have you ever heard of it? I have not. No. So obviously in Gloucester and that's where I was this morning, her and her husband bought, um, this mansion on the river there okay. and it had, the mansion had two out, two buildings are, they built into dorms and it's a leadership Institute is what it is. And okay. they bring in young, um, black potential leaders. And not only do they teach them to be leaders, but then they teach them how to develop solutions. They call them solutionists. And um, they've been doing it for about 12 years. And I asked her, I said, how many young people have you come have come through here? And she said about 600. And one of the challenges in, in, in the black conservative uh, community is that there's just not very many of them that are qualified to serve right. in positions of um, in government, in industry and so forth. And so one of her goals is to her and her husband was to really promote that and, and create and, you know, develop these young people because there's plenty of them that are smart enough to do it. Um, and there's a lot of reasons why they, they, they haven't. So it was very encouraging to, to see this place. And I encourage anybody that listens to this podcast to look it up um, and, and support it if, financially, if you can, because they have a beautiful vision and mission. And um, I think it's, it's sorely needed in, in, in our country, mm-hmm. especially here in Virginia. So yeah, really I, good stuff. I wouldn't mind, you know, contacting her down the road and seeing if I, I might be able to get her on and uh, do a Absolutely. podcast with her. They're Absolutely. Good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that now she, I know she's, you know, she wasn't planning on being the secretary of the Commonwealth. She was planning on going uh, after she stepped down from the Heritage Foundation to go back to the Institute and really start to, to promote that, to, to pro- provide a legacy. For and, um, but, uh, you know, She's the type of person when public office calls for her, she feels a duty. Her and her husband both feel that there's, there's a duty. They have a duty to serve if if they come to him. And and, and uh, Governor-elect Junkin came to her and said, you know, I really could use you in this role. I need help with, you know, the common, Secretary of the Commonwealth's job, primary job is filling positions mm-hmm. and also getting rid of positions, people in position that shouldn't be there anymore. Right. And so um, I see her doing this for a couple of years and getting getting that administration on their feet as far as that goes. Um, and, and I hope she serves all four years. But I mean, if I was her, I'd probably want to step down as soon as I could, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. I, I, I just I, I can't imagine. I, I'm sure a lot of people are. Well, I know a lot of one of their one of the challenges they had was. They had so many people apply for job for the jobs in the administration. You know, you could go online, you could apply for different jobs. They had so many people apply that, you know, they wanted to go through all of these applications and make sure they didn't miss somebody. And that takes time. And then they had, they end up interviewing a lot of people. I know a number of people that have been interviewed um, over the last couple of months and um, it, it's a challenge, but um, they're going to, they're going to come out of this doing quite well. I, I think the governor's uh, the new governor is going to be awesome. Yeah. So, so in, in closing, cause I'm, I'm uh, we're, we're still testing out the time uh, as to how long we're going to do podcasts. I think the more viewers that we get, the longer we'll probably start doing the, uh, the podcast segments, but in closing, 
what um speaking on on the governor as far as what are your thoughts and 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 maybe hopes as to how he responds to some of the um some of the issues that that you know northam um kind of put into play and do you think he's going to obviously he's got his his work cut out for him but do you think he's going to uh advance and and really step it up or do you think he's going to be struggling uh i it's, it's hard to say it's a the one thing, question. yeah it, 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 the one thing about the new governor that i learned and it was from uh over four hours of interviewing him is he's very smart he's very capable of course we've all seen that on the campaign trail mm-hmm. i mean that he, he was made for this. I really believe it. God has put him in this place for a reason. And, um, and I think he's going to, but, but I think there's going to be a struggle. Um, yeah. I mean, first of all, I, I have a good friend who works in one of the agencies. I won't get into where, um, but he has worked in the state government for 25 years or something. He's waiting to just, he's just waiting to serve out his, his, his basically his term so he can have full retirement. But he said, there is a huge deep state. And it, it got, he said it got really bad over the last eight years. Yeah. Um, he, he has been removed from leadership in his, he was in leadership in his agency and because he's a conservative and he would speak up to, to some of the issues, especially he said the woke, the woke folks are just everywhere. And so right. the, the new governor's going to have a challenge with that. I mean, there are going to be people just like with Trump, they're going to try to undermine him. Um, you know, the one one of the great things that the president Trump did was he he pulled back the curtain right um, yeah. on the deep state and especially in the FBI, which is just awful. But um, I think what's he's going to run up against that and it's going to be a huge challenge. He's also going to have a challenge with the Senate. I mean, Dick Saslaw, the majority leader, has come out and said, you know, we are going to stop everything that tried to anything they try to repeal that we did over the last four years or last two years. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, it's going to be a challenge. It's going to be a challenge. But Glenn Youngkin is a smart guy. Yeah, he's really smart. I already know he's already behind the scenes negotiating with the Democrats. I I know for a fact on certain things. The question becomes, and this is always a problem for Republicans, is, you know, where do you end the negotiation? Yeah. And and we always tend to to negotiate to the left. Yeah. it, and it makes sense because if you think about we started here in 1776 and 1789 with a set of core principles, we call it the Constitution and Declaration of Independence. Well, to stay there is very, very difficult. So yeah. you're always going to move away from it. And that's sort of what's happened. Now, on some of them, you do kind of you, you don't move away from the core principles, but you you view them differently. You evolve. Uh, right. I mean, slavery is a perfect example. Right. Yeah. Right. Uh, women voting is another perfect example. You evolve. Right. But we still I mean, the Constitution <laughs> didn't prevent those folks from from voting. You had right. to put in a law. Uh, you had to put in an amendment to make sure that they, you didn't prevent it. But um, but anyway, I, I think that um, that's the question. How far will will Governor Yunkin compromise? And um, that's our job, Matt, all of us, those of you listening on this podcast who are, are strong conservatives who believe in you know, equal opportunity to believe in, you know, freedom, the free markets and and all of these things that, you know, that we believe in to hold his feet to the fire. Yeah. If we, if we start to see him slip, we go, we, 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 got, we do it in a respectful way, but we let him know, hey, you've gone a little too far here. 
Yeah. Um, you know, and that happened with Republicans in 2017 when they caved on Medicaid expansion. Yeah. Um, and I remember telling the Speaker of the House, uh, um, Kirk Cox, I said, this is not a good idea. Um, yeah. Well, it's the only way we can actually control it. Well, guess what? They didn't control it in the end. Yeah. They didn't have the, and, and people lost their seat <laughs> in, in, in certain districts because they caved. Yeah. And um, we held them accountable. That's what we did. Yeah, I remember uh, talking to uh, to Chris Anders um, over at uh, Virginia Constitutional Conservatives about that, and um, I know that uh, he he uh, he he kind of directly addressed Kurt Cox and kind of put him on the hot seat for a moment there. But that's another story, and that's something. It is that, another, another that story Chris for another day. On the, I th- <laughs> yeah, I think, I think he enjoys it. <laughs> yeah, but, I, I don't I don't know him personally, but uh, he definitely has a reputation of. Of um, being Putting being hard on, on folks. Nazi. Yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah. So he's he's probably going to come on eventually um, down the road. He's extremely busy with everything right now. I think um, the next the next person I've got coming on, I want to say, is Jenny Robinson. Um, I don't know if you the know. Name is not familiar. I don't know. Yeah, she's more of an influencer uh, on Instagram, and she's she's followed by. Um, I want to say the Daily Wire. She's got a pretty decent following, but uh, I think she's going to be coming on not next week, but the week after. Um, but uh, next week, I'm actually having. I think Mike Dickinson is going to come back on. He's an interesting guy. I heard him, yeah. heard him again on John Reed's show. Um, yes, you know yeah, he's he, he's got his detractors, but as John yeah. Reed says, he <laughs> exactly. knows well, this, he knows what's going on on the ground. Richmond is a perfect uh, candidate or individual, but Tom. But yeah. yeah, he's an interesting one to talk to. We had him on last year with, uh, I think it was Nick Ignacio, and um, it was a pretty, pretty interesting conversation. But yeah, yeah. he uh, he was on John Reed just recently on uh, WRVA, and uh, so we're going to have him on next week and talk to him. Craig, if you want to close out with anything, um, feel free to do so, and I really appreciate you coming on. Not at all. Um, you know, if, if anybody wants to learn more about the Middle Resolution, certainly go to our website, www.middleresolution.org. And we are we are a nonprofit. We do obviously take donations, so we would love anybody's support. And you can sign up for our emails, um, and you know, on that website. And um, also, if anybody is interested in learning more about the education alliance that we've created, it's veoa2022 at gmail.com. Thank V-E-O-A you for that. Twenty twenty two. Okay, got it. Yeah. Okay. Craig, thank you so much, man. I appreciate your Thanks, time. Thanks, Matt. And yeah, uh, not at all. See you in the future. I'm sure we'll talk to you soon. Take care. Right. Bye. Bye. Bye.